Well then, here we go. Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast. These are the 1-24 to league predictions for the championship season 2020-2021. Predictions, love them or hate them, you can't live without them. And we have argued quite a lot. We've been back and forth, but we've got our league table as we see things at the time of recording with just a few days before the start of the season. Uh, hopefully you're excited for these. Thanks for tuning in. These podcasts are brought to you in association with EFL on Quest. Now, EFL on Quest is the home of the EFL highlights. It's the Saturday night highlights show and the Wednesday night highlights show and the Carabao Cup highlights show. And George, it's a show that we both like to watch, but also have had some involvement with yourself very recently, making your debut there on Saturday. How did it go? It was great. Yeah, I love being part of it. It was the Carabao Cup um, highlights show, which meant there were quite a lot of games to get through, including mm-hmm. some from last weekend. Um, yeah, it's the second time I, I once did the, the producing role mm-hmm. um, coming in for yourself last season. Uh, and then that was the first time I was on. And I must say, it does... You know, when you're sitting at home and you're watching a highlight show, you don't quite realise what goes into making it. Because not only are you having to stay on top of every game, you're having to pick out the best goals, you're having to pick out all the best storylines as well in any statistical quirks. You then have to get it all together in about three or four hours after the final whistle. So the job that they all do there, the show that they put on, Colin's obviously a brilliant puppet master mm. at the front of it as well. Um, as I said on, on the League One show, really has the fans at the forefront of his presenting, which is important at this level. So it's a great show to be part of. I loved being part of it. It's been made all the better, Ali, by your influence over the last four <laughs> or five years or longer, actually. Um, and it's really great that they are supporting us with our 1-24s. It's kind of you to say, I mean, the, the other pundits on the show, specifically the likes of Dean Ashton and Sam Parkin, Stephen Warnock, who you were on with, uh, I think they're absolutely fabulous. And since they extended it to two hours and gave Leagues 1 and 2 an extra half an hour to take it to one hour in total for them, I think that's really taken it on to the next level. And I think it does exactly what EFL fans want, which is no gimmicks. It's just highlights of football matches uh, with uh, chat about the most interesting storylines. And that's what they offer, uh, of course, including highlights from every round of the Carabao Cup as well. So we're, we're very grateful for their support for these podcasts. Uh, and it's worth pointing out that you can get this on your TV, uh, unless you've got a TV from the, from the 50s, which only has one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, you can get this on Freeview Channel 12. Every Saturday night at nine o'clock, of course, get it on series link. FreeSat 167, Sky 144 and Virgin 169. Uh, but not only that, if you can't get to a TV or you don't have a TV, you can watch it in the, the modern sense as well. The D-Play app and website is where you can stream the show live at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Or as soon as it's finished, it tends to be uploaded and you can watch the show back uh, at any time on a tablet or a smartphone. There's really no need to miss a single EFL goal uh, this season because EFL on Quest has it all. As part of our partnership with them on this pod, we'll be picking a best on Quest for the championship. That is the team that we are most excited to see on the highlights, the highlights team. That means good going forward and terrible at the back. You'll find out who that is later on. Let's get into our predictions and we start with the team in 24th as ever. Uh, we've got Wickham Wanderers coming 24th in the championship. I think as ever, there are a fair few reasons for this. And in some of the other divisions, the reasons for teams being relegated are perceived issues off the field or chaos behind the scenes. That couldn't be less of the case with Wickham Wanderers who have 
just such a good setup there. Uh, a tight-knit team, obviously headed by Gareth Ainsworth, but with so many other people working hard behind the scenes. Uh, we've spoken at length about their achievements in the 1920 season, just something of a fairy tale, to be quite honest with you. Um, but when making the step up to the championship, we certainly believe that it is a very large step up f- for any team. And we've seen that uh, basically with the record of all promoted teams uh, from League One to the Championship in the last few years. Last season, a good example, of course. Uh, Luton just about staying up. Charlton, they did get relegated after a good start. And Barnsley, although they did stay up, uh, that was only thanks to a Wigan points deduction. And all of those teams, we were quite positive about coming up from League One. So it's, it's evident that the step up is difficult because the quality of football is higher the consistency of the opposition is higher uh, and the brutalness of the schedule as well makes things very difficult for teams I I would say my key point here with Wickham because uh, I don't think it's a surprise to have them down here and and they know themselves that they will be having to fight play out of their skin in in every game to make up with uh, you know for for a lack of budget and maybe a lack of, of talent or experience in the championship I know nine of the team that played in their Carabao Cup game against Brentford on the weekend had played in League Two with Wickham as well. So that shows you how far they've gone. My confidence here comes from the fact I think they will struggle to score goals. Uh, They are a team that can hurt you in a couple of different ways and they've got more variation up top than they are given credit for. It is not lump it up to Akinfenwa. In fact, I dare say we won't see a lot of Akinfenwa this season. But I don't see them having a lot of the ball and I think they're going to struggle to score goals. And looking at the recent history of this division, the teams that struggle to score tend to finish in the relegation zone. Um, Certainly thinking back to Rotherham 2018-19, I think there's some parallels to be drawn here. You're not going to want to play against Wickham. The games will be quite low scoring and I dare say it'll be a rare occasion where they get absolutely blown away. So it will be low margins, but I think that they are going to find it very difficult to rack up the goals. And I think if that's the case, it's very difficult to rack up the points. So uh, as much as I'm excited to see uh, Wickham in the championship, they deserve to be there. And each of their players basically has a remarkable career story um, that ordinarily would not see them play at this level. Gareth Ainsworth is a manager who deserves his chance, but we have got them in 24th place. And 23rd, George, we've got Rotherham, who will probably be a bit disappointed to hear that because they keep coming up. And they keep going back down. This season, they might have a bit more positivity, but not enough for us. Yeah, this is difficult because it's it's hard to not to look lazy by just relegating two of the sides that came up in, in Wickham and Rotherham. Um, and, you know, there's every chance that they prove us wrong, but it's our job to work out what we think is the most likely eventuality here. And it's telling that last season we had Luton, Barnsley and, um, and Charlton who came up. Charlton came straight back down. And Barnsley were only saved by Wigan's point deduction, and Luton it took a it took a great escape for Luton to stay up. The the, the gap between these leagues is sizable. Even thinking back to Wigan and Blackburn a few years ago, who were two of the best League One teams we've seen for a long time, in their second season they just about kept relegation at arm's length. This is a tough thing to do, and therefore Paul Warren and his side, it's it's become a bit of a a cliche of mine on these on these podcasts, but. You know, if they stay up on goal difference, then Paul Warden has done one of the best jobs. And mm. the same for Gareth Ainsworth and more. You know, this is really impressive if they can keep their sides up. There's a fair bit to like about the squad and the business that they've done. Um, they brought in some experience at centre-back, not something they were necessarily lacking beforehand. But, you know, in Wes Harding and, and Angus McDonald, they brought in a couple there. Um, and Kieran Sadlier isn't necessarily a player that I thought before last season was championship quality. I never really liked bringing in players on the back of one good season, um, I must say. But, um, you know, he brings something different, I guess, to them. They've lost Dan Barlasa, 
who goes back to Newcastle as it stands at the moment. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him loan back out. And if yeah. he does go back out, I guess every chance he ends up at the New York Stadium. Um, but it's just it's just a tall order. They, they were so reliant on set pieces last season for goals. They don't have a natural goal scorer or somebody who's going to be able to to really, um, you know, get into well into double figures or anything like that. It's going to be pretty backs to the wall stuff. And this will be the third time they try and, and avoid going straight back down. I don't necessarily see any reason why they're much stronger this time. They do have, you know, they have striking options in Michael Smith, Carl Vassell, Freddie Ladapo, but I'm not sure any of those are really the necessary quality to play up top in the championship for a side who are going to do well. If you think back to those sides that I mentioned, Barnsley being one of them, Charlton for long stretches of the last season, I don't think this Rotherham side are up there with them. And it's also worth remembering that they, they went up on points per game. So whilst we do have to give them that credit, there is the nagging doubt, especially because their form started to turn towards the back end of last season. And given where Peterborough, for example, were, and Oxford, for example, and Portsmouth were, there's every chance that if the season had played out, there'd still be a League One side. Mm. Um, so I'm trying not to take anything away from Rotherham, but just on balance, I think this is going to be a tough one for them. Um, we've already mentioned the team in 22nd, Ali. Um, no, we haven't. Sorry. No, we have not mentioned the team in 22nd. Uh, we've got Huddersfield being relegated uh, in 22nd place. This, at first, when I first thought this, felt like an overreaction. And the more I look, the more I'm finding it hard to find redeeming qualities. The the, the first thing to tackle is that Carlos Corberan, the new manager, might be a fantastic manager. Uh, as is often the case with guys who take their first management role having been coaches elsewhere they tend to come very highly rated and very well respected uh, in a in a, a in a coaching sense and they tend to have good relationships with people and therefore there's a lot of optimism about how they will do Corberan uh, of course has been a, a sort of career coach he didn't have much of a playing career so he really has been working towards this moment for a long time and he's done a hell of an apprenticeship both back in Spain with VRIL uh, and in recent years at Leeds United he did a year before Bielsa arrived so he wasn't part of Bielsa's own backroom staff, but became a very important part of Bielsa's team, which clearly speaks to a level of coaching ability and, and detail and knowledge of the game. Um, but he's got a really tough job. You know, we were surprised to see the Cowleys uh, sacked or released from their contract at the end of last season. They did what they needed to do in keeping Huddersfield in the division after such a horrendous start to last season under Jan Seward. I think another thing to point out about this Huddersfield side is they won 13 of 46 games last season. In the Premier League the year before, as we know, they won barely a single game. Uh, the year before, they stayed up admirably. But again, it's, a, it's another year where the majority of your results do not end up with three points. It, it's not a team, or a club rather, that has won very many football matches going back for three years now. <clears throat> and I find that a difficult situation for Corberan to walk into. On top of that, a huge part of the narrative about changing from Cowley to Corberan was to do with style of play. And while I'm excited to see what Corberan's style of play is, and hopefully it will be really exciting, high octane stuff. I, again, I don't think it's I don't think it's helpful for him to have everyone looking and judging him on style of play as well as uh, results and performances. So I, I think he's got a huge job. That's before you look at the fact that, uh, that there seems to be. A lot of uh, questions about Carlin Ahern Grant and whether he will be at the club next season. It looks like he might not be. And if he is, there's there's been so much chat that it's hard to work out whether he's really wanted there or whether he wants to be there. Uh, he's a, a goal scorer that we rate very highly and, and scored goals 
pretty consistently in a poor team last season, but he not, might not be there. And when you look at the rest of the squad, we like Christopher Schindler. He's been a good defender in English football for the last few years. He was part of their team that went up, and he's a good leader. Uh, Jonathan Hogg, you could say the same for, a good leader. He has got that promotion uh, with Watford and with Huddersfield on his CV. He, he's not a player that absolutely blows you away. Lewis O'Brien is a young player that we like. And outside of that, I really don't think I'm being too harsh in saying that there's very little that I get excited about. They've got a really tough-looking start to the season. Really hard fixtures, probably the hardest in the league. And given what I've said about how Corberan is going to be judged on style of play and results, I worry that the bad feeling from the fan base, which seems to have increased a lot over the last uh, few weeks and months, is going to grow and grow. And Corberan simply won't be able to do the job we won't have time to do the job that he wants to do. Uh, and I see this being a bit of an issue, to be honest. So pretty concerned about Huddersfield. We've got them in 22nd place. One of our big debates, George, was can Sheffield Wednesday overcome a minus 12 point deduction? Our answer, yes, they can. Yeah, I drove this, so I'll take the criticism or the credit, whichever comes our <laughs> way. Uh, I just feel like it's quite a curious situation at Sheffield Wednesday because we're used with these points deductions. Normally the team who's sitting at the bottom of the table, starting on minus whatever, is not in a very good shape as a football club. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Sheffield Wednesday under Chancery are, are a model of, of sustainability or whatever because that's quite clearly not the case. However, they are a championship football club who finished mid-table last season have a manager in Gary Monk, who I'm not a massive fan of, but... 16th, would we say, mid-table? Lower mid-table. <laughs> lower, four, four places off the middle. A 12-point deduction would have put them down. Yeah. That's a good I way of totally, looking at it. Yeah, totally. So they have that. to but, no, but, I mean, you're adding, um, if you look at it, if you look at the circumstances, if you look at what actually happened there, mm. as we as we know, the, uh, the end of the season was absolutely horrific. But, you know, they were still in the promotion race come nearly the turn of the year. Uh, and and Gary Monk, they've got a manager who's pretty experienced, and, and just the way they fell apart was quite clearly an inability to deal with the excess pressure of being up there, and everything unravelled very very quickly. This is a bit of a free hit, to be honest. Like the the fact is that nobody really expects Sheffield Wednesday to get out of this. Gary Monk has stayed at the club in a job where he's not going to be blamed if they don't get out of it. They have a target to aim at. And there is undoubtedly going to be the feeling that they have a wrong to right. They've resigned, re-signed Josh Windass, which is impressive in itself because I'm sure he had other options in the championship where he could have gone to not trying to bridge a 12-point gap. I think in general, the business they've done has been pretty good. I think Shea Dunkley is a very smart signing at centre-back, not necessarily a position they're particularly short in. Um, Izzy Brown offers some much-needed quality in the final third as well, something they really lacked last season. Stephen Fletcher is a is a is a loss, but as we've spoken about a lot of times on the podcast, even if you don't like Gary Monk, you can't deny that he seems to get strikers who have never been particularly prolific, at least in recent years, scoring a lot of goals. Kachunga, I would be very surprised if he is the man that he's going to suddenly Jordan Rhodes rolling unlock. back the years. You'd hope there's going to be another striker signed um, because at the moment we think that New Hughes is no longer there. So Rhodes and Kachunga, I can't believe that's going to be there. They're two options up top for the season. But there's a lot to like still just looking through the squad. I mean, Kadeem Harris continues to come on um, very quickly and offers real pace and he trickery. He looks quite good as a wing-back, doesn't he? Which mm. you, you wouldn't necessarily have guessed. I, I have to admit, I look at this squad and the incomings and it looks like they've added a lot of legs 
you know, players like Windass, uh, Deli Bashiru and Izzy Brown. And I see them basically giving the ball to Barry Bannon, legs around him to cover up his deficiencies and see if he can orchestrate a, a survival. Does it feel a bit like, this is how it feels to me anyway, it feels like they either come rock bottom because I think halfway through the season, they'll know whether they've got a chance or not. Yeah. And I'd worry about things unravelling if they don't. Or they survive. I don't see them sort of sure. getting close. And f- do, do you sort of see what I, I mean? I just think in terms of... Yeah, I do. I do entirely. But I, I think the idea... you know, Something we spoke about on, on Quest on Saturday as well. Colin asked me the question. The, the idea that because they had a 12... That because 12 points fewer last season would have meant they went down they have to improve on our season doesn't really ring true because it's a completely different situation. They have something to aim at. They literally look at Wickham, look at Rotherham, look at Huddersfield, all these teams are talking about and they have to point and shoot. They've no got, lack of motivation. They've got 46 games mm. to bridge that gap and they know that and that is their target and if they finish where we've got them in 21st, that's a job well done. So you have to, you, you can't just kind of bi- look at it binarily. That's not a word. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> it's not a binary thing here. It's not as simple as saying they have to improve and I think that sets them in good stead because unlike last season where it all fell apart when things weren't going so well there are two options here either it doesn't go well or they build a head of steam and they get towards it and they are no matter what you think their squad is is quite clearly of a higher level than these right down the bottom so yeah I think they'll do it last thing to say on this uh, before we move on for those people who watch a lot of highlights on Quest you'll know that Gary Monk's interviews are always just remarkable his use of the phrase the group is magnificent so if you're tuning in to Sheffield Wednesday games this year basically it's like a drinking game how many times can Gary Monk say the group in in one interview he's the kind of manager who I wouldn't want in many situations but in this I do because he's I mean he always feels cheated and he always feels pretty prickly and he's kind of you know I think he feels like he's always um, running uphill he's always back to the wall at all times and so this time he actually does can he galvanise a group of players I say Yes. Okay, let's move on to the next team, and it is Luton Town. Uh, Nathan Jones, in charge, oversaw a pretty impressive survival bid. I think it's fair to say at the time where football stopped, at the time where Graham Jones left and Nathan was appointed, we looked at the fixture list and we said, you know what, with the gap that's there and with the tough first few games, it, it, it felt a little bit like they could be down before he even had a chance to get his feet under the table. But... He really did galvanise them. And it feels like there's a core group of players in this Luton side. Dare I say it's some parallels with Wickham and Gareth, and Gareth Ainsworth. A core group of players who just love playing for, uh, for Nathan Jones and certainly didn't enjoy playing for Graham Jones and whose performances as a unit are just so much higher than the sum of their parts. A lot of them have been playing together for so long now that they've got that, that, that relationship uh, as, as a core group. That said... Cameron Carter-Vickers and Izzy Brown. I think last season, it's fair to say, they lifted the quality level of the team, the individual quality level. Uh, and while they've made some some nice additions, Jordan Clark looks so ready to step up to championship football. Lord knows he's earned that chance after a good few years at Accrington. Uh, Norrington, Davis and Bree. They've got more legs than the fullbacks that, that Luton had for the majority of last season. And we know that even if Jones doesn't go full diamond all season, the fullbacks will be crucial going forward. And, and I'm interested to see how Norrington Davis steps up, really energetic. And I think Lockyer was needed because I didn't want to see a central defensive partnership of Pearson and Sonny Bradley because I think that was a weak spot. So uh, I've been impressed, quietly impressed with, with some of their additions. I think it's difficult for me to sit here and say they're going to be way better than this. Because actually, on both ends of the pitch, defensively, I don't see them being amazing, much improved, don't get me wrong. 
uh, under Nathan than Graham, but not incredible. And going forward, definitely got some reservations about exactly how good they'll be and, and, and how consistently they'll create chances. So that's why we've got Luton in 20th place. Above them, George, ding, ding, ding. It's the best on Quest. Best on Quest, best on Quest. Queen's Park Rangers. Why are they the best on Quest? And why have we got them in 19th, a drop of six positions? Can't believe I just sang on our most listened to podcast of the year. Um, <laughs> QPR we have in, is it 19th? Yep. 19th. Uh, the, be- the best on Quest, quite clearly. Uh, anyone who saw them last season, they are a side under Mark Warburton who have... Some flair attacking players, oh, even yes. though Abere Eze has moved on. The neutrals they've choice. still retained them and they and he knows that. And he knows that his best way of trying to win football matches is just to score more goals than the opposition. Uh at the back, it's not so good. Disaster. They may have made some changes so far. A player that I like a lot in Rob Dickey, but it says a lot about QPR. They brought in a defender, a centre back, whose best attribute is his passing ability. <laughs> um, they they're great fun and under Warburton. You know, I think we both think they've, they've got enough about them to stay away from the relegation zone, even if they're going to be shipping a lot of goals because they do have strength in forward areas. L- losing Eze and losing... I've now learned that's his name, by the way, because right. he did a pronunciation thing for Crystal Palace. So, okay. you know, respect the name. Um, losing Eze and losing um, Jordan Hugel. I mean, I'm not a huge Hugel fan, but undoubtedly having him leading the line looks better than any of the options they have at the moment are you not excited for the Scottish Pele Dykes who joined for two mil not really looks like he could be a half decent Hugo proxy yeah maybe I'll I have to see it before I before I buy into it um, myself I've watched a fair bit and I mean he certainly looks like he's a bit of a battering ram you did say to me earlier because I'm just I can't get past the fact that I think they're going to ship so many goals and maybe not be as good going forward without Eze you did make the fair point that you know, it doesn't mean they don't have another player playing in his position. They don't lose everything. Yeah. And, and you think there's a couple of guys that can and, and will step up and, and grow. Well, bright to say Samuel is still at the club, Yeah. Um, even though I thought he'd left, um, which was quite good. He was meant to be going to Belgium, but he's still there. Um, a player who, over the course of last season, really kicked on. At age 22, you feel like he could be kind of ready to step into that, um, into that uh, kind of dominating role out on the right-hand side. Ilias Chair, after his first full season, um, a championship level, another one aged 22 or 23, who is another flair player going forwards. Um, they're just a young squad, kind of full of talent. Ryan Manning, again, improved a lot playing at left-back throughout last season. And the players they brought in, George Thomas will be interesting coming in from Leicester, mm. uh, Dickey, who I've already mentioned, improving, basically. This is just kind of an improving side full of young players. And it's fair to assume that, that they will come on. I know, I can't remember what it's called, but I know that there's a, an, a thinking in American football about when a key player leaves. It yes, almost, the Ewing theory. It can uh, almost... NBA rather than NFL. But yes, that, it, it doesn't work every time, but there is often something to be said for um, someone who basically just the whole team runs through and get goes so far past the level that you almost don't spread things out a little bit and, and you're too focused on the individual and you don't perform that well as a team unit. Sometimes when that individual leaves, the team unit strengthens uh, and that ends up being better for results. So look, there's a, it's, it's very hard to get your, your head around QPR. I think there'll be people more positive about them than us. I just can't get past the fact that I'm not sure a Mark Warburton team as much as I love watching them on the Quest Highlights show and they are our best on, te- on Quest, have ever or will ever be a really good defensive team. And, and if they're really bad, if they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league, that's going to undermine their, their attacking uh, flair quite significantly. Uh, we've got Reading in 18th. As ever with Reading Football Club, frustratingly, 
quite difficult to put your finger on things at the moment because they're leaving things very late, just like they did last season. We had them in the relegation zone then. Uh, in the week following the recording, they spent a ton of money on George Puskas, uh, among others. Uh, in October, they were in the bottom three and all of our fears about Jose Gomsch were coming true uh, but of course they rallied after changing manager and that that is something that does always undermine pre-season predictions uh, and they were safe under mark bowen so they can build on that right under bowen wrong no bowen removed from his post refuses to move back upstairs to a sporting director role and velkio paunovic joins the club they call him pauno and that's what we will now call him for the time being Look, clearly, because of that, there's a slightly chaotic vibe to the club because with the new manager comes talk of lots of new players. Uh, this is a guy who is very well thought of in Serbian football who basically oversaw a group of young players, one age group in the Serbian youth teams, all the way up to winning the World Cup uh, at under-20 level. A lot of big names now, Milinkovic, Savic, probably the biggest uh, that he oversaw the development of. So very highly rated in Serbia, not very highly rated in MLS, where he took charge of Chicago Fire for a number of pretty underwhelming seasons. Now, I'm not an MLS expert, but I gather Chicago Fire as a franchise tend to underperform anyway. So maybe it's not all down to him, but it's fair to say they were not too upset when Paolo uh, left the club. So he's got quite a lot to prove, I think it's fair to say. Um, thankfully for him, Oviajaria signed on a permanent deal, which is huge because he's the sort of player who, having had a good season and excellent flashes last season could add consistency and even more quality and become one of the best players in the league at time of recording they've still got john swift as well who we consider one of the better creative midfield players in the league um i think some fans think their squad is a little bit better than it is i don't think it's hugely well balanced in some areas uh, and it's very hard to know what to expect uh, from this reading side under paunovic with a ton of players potentially coming in in the last few weeks of the window. Uh, we've got them in 18th because it seems like with Joao up top, uh, McIntyre developing well at the back, Rinomota in midfield, uh, Olise as well, youngster who I'm really excited about, who's taken the number seven shirt, looks to be very involved this season. I do think they've got enough to stay up, but if Paolo is not a good manager, I equally would not be surprised to see what is a club that I don't think is being very well run. Um, keep sort of dropping in the wrong direction. So Reading, 18th as it stands, but definitely one of the clubs that we're not that sure about right now. What about Birmingham City, George? You've got them in 17th. Uh, they finished 20th last season. Uh, it kind of felt like if the season was a few weeks longer, they might have dropped out altogether because they were miserable after the break, partly because they knew Clotet was leaving. The big question for me is, how much does the appointment of Aitor Karanka automatically improve last season's Birmingham side not much no not he's, really he's, he's got a very good record at, in he, this league he's got a fine record when he took Middlesbrough up a few excellent with Middlesbrough playoff final first year automatic and promotion second year yeah. Forrest started well fell out with the board off he went but had a very had a not a very good record had a good record yeah he won 16 out of his 52 games I would say that his that I would be confident in him as a manager less confident that he won't fall out with the Birmingham ownership group <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm just not really taken by the. I mean, it's it's an improvement on Clotet. Let's say that for sure. Um, but what I'm looking for in a team who's going to do well this season, um, a manager in Karanka, and the squad that they've got at their disposal is is, is not it. Um, if we if we could do a worst on quest, 
and this would be my pick because it's going to be... goals per game. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Ivan Sunic was the kind of headline signing last summer. Um, he is a, a kind of a midfield destroyer who thinks he can play a bit. It's always sunny in Birmingham. And uh, and I'm not a massive fan. They've also got Keifton Belt, who's been there for however long, and he's brought in, and Gary Gardner they've got, and he's brought in Adam Clayton just to complement that lovely midfield trio. It's it's grim. The, the only striker they've got at their disposal at the moment is uh, is the Duke, Lukas Jukovic. They're very keen to bring um, Scott Hogan back from Villa, and that would definitely improve things. Uh, Jeremy Bella is clearly the exciting attacking talent after Dan Crowley, um, kind of lived up to my expectation and just flattered to deceive for most of the season last season um, there's just not much to get excited about again and I'm sure and it always feels like Birmingham fans are fairly positive on their chances but I just I, I feel like I look at a very different squad to what they see um, George Friend coming in at left back is, is another example like Clayton where it's just it's there's no creativity there's no idea of, of looking to recruit in areas where you have improving players who you could then move on and then reinvest. It's just bringing in players who are effectively aged cloggers just to supplement what you already have. Um, they have enough, I'm sure. They've got enough experienced pros and, and championship quality and with Karenka at the helm, enough kind of managerial nows to be solid enough. But not a lot of enthusiasm outside of that from, from the seeming of things. No. no I, I agree with what you say. Uh, what about the side that we have above them? Uh, it's actually Middlesbrough who are managed by Neil Warnock. I think for a lot of people, the very presence of Warnock makes them a challenger, makes them a team who will be challenging at the top end of this division. Why is that not the case for us? Well, anyone who listened to the to the podcast during the, the period where he was appointed will know that we both hold him in very high esteem. And, and you know he did enough to keep them up. But it's gone way too far if people think that he's going to take a, a, a team who was so poor last season and immediately turn them into challengers. Um, I think a 16th place finish would be about right for this squad of players. Um, my my concern as well with Warnock is that he he took over Borough in a, for a job last season. You know he had a task; he mm-hmm. had to keep them up, and that was it. He did it, and he gets the keys this campaign. If we get to December or November or January, and Borough are not in a relegation fight, which looks pretty likely. And not in a promotion race, which I think looks pretty likely. Can he be bothered? Like, can he be bothered? Like, he's, he's, he is someone who comes in to do a job and does a job and sees it out. I can't see him really fancying... Didn't the, stick around at Cardiff, did he? No, when it was, in, in exactly When it was that, clear that they were just going to be mid-table. And then they weren't. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of his and, and he has credit in the bank for that. But this doesn't look to me... It's such a thin squad as well. This is a season where depth is going to be so important. They've got three... Well, basically two senior centre-backs as it stands. It's also just unavoidably not a Neil Warnock squad. And in, no. a, in a way, that excites me because he gets pigeonholed a lot that he needs you know, experienced old pros, old heads. And we did talk, uh, again, around the time he was appointed that we think that's a little bit unfair. And actually, over his career, he, he's not averse to using young players. Well, he's going to have to use a lot of young players with this Middlesbrough squad. And I'm excited to see I some think, of them. Yes, yeah, so, so am I. And that I think is- this could be a breakout year from Marcus Tavernier. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. But just because of all these things, you know, Spence, Coulson, Tavernier could all have great seasons. But you're asking a lot of them. I, th- I think there's there's a big mess that needs cleaning up at Borough from last summer and the Woodgate season. 
And to expect him, it's not like Cardiff. The players just aren't there. I mean, you look at the players who've gone out, Friend, Clayton, who have mentioned who've both gone to Birmingham, Ayala, Shotton, Justed. I mean, the, that's a lot of minutes out the door. McCoody, who was on loan mm. at the back end of last season, has gone as well. They don't have a big enough squad and they might bring those players in. I'm sure they will bring players in. But the idea that Warnock delivers with this squad is, is just a bit fanciful for my liking. They have Marcus Brown back who I think is, is is a bit of a Warnock player because he's got both the technical ability, the physicality and the edge to to kind of be a good player for them. But again... Marcus Brown's season, I've already seen it. It goes score on opening day, straight red, second game, loan, fall out with Warnock. Loan to Oxford. Loan to Oxford <laughs> at the uh, very end of the window. Um, does well but anyway, for Anyway, I mean, I feel bad there because I've been overly... Well, not overly, but I've been fairly negative on both Borough and Birmingham. But I just... Yeah, I think expectations of anything more than a, a lower mid-table finish um, would be a bit much. But time for some positivity, Ali. You're doing two in a row now with 14th and 15th. Mm. Two of our darlings, I would say. Yeah, I, I suppose so. We'll see how long it lasts because teams aren't darlings of ours forever just while we enjoy what they're doing and, and enjoy watching the development of the clubs. And, and that's certainly the case with Coventry City, who we've got coming 15th, which objectively for any promoted side stepping up from League One to the Championship uh, should be seen as a huge success because as discussed we think it's really really difficult um, it's a club whose development and whose plan just really ticks a lot of boxes for us and uh, the way that they have dealt with the situation they found themselves in as a League Two club just a few years ago now uh, the way that Mark Robbins as the head of the football side of things, uh, his recruitment team, uh, and dare I say it, those uh, at the top of the club who have not always been very popular, but seem to have at least been able to keep themselves to themselves and not prove uh, a, a too difficult to deal with. And we're just watching a, a football club sort of regenerate and regrow. Um, and I can't wait to see how they do. That the, the issues, of course, mainly the departure of Liam Walsh, who pulled so many strings for them uh, last season, was such a good player. It looks like their recruitment is just full of creative thinking, but joined up thinking as well. The players that they've brought in, specifically when it pertains to Walsh, uh, Hamer, who comes very highly rated from from, from some very smart people uh, who watched him play over in the uh, Dutch league. And Sheaf as well, who was excellent on loan last season at Doncaster and, and signs from Arsenal. In those two players... Maybe they don't have the passing range of Liam Walsh, but they probably add more bite, more defensive solidity. And one of the realities of being promoted from League One to the Championship is you're going to see less of the ball and you're going to need to do a bit more defending. So that seems quite smart rather than necessarily just trying to replace him like for like. They brought in Callum O'Hare and I think they're going to rely on him quite a lot for some creativity in the final third. Whether he's ready to shoulder that burden, I'm not sure, but he's got a lot of uh, a lot of potential and will have flashes of brilliance. Uh, and of course, McCallum won't be at the club this season, but Ryan Giles is a, is a, a young English left wing back who's played youth team football for England and who I think will give good quality down the left side uh, in that left wing back role. So they were an excellent defensive team in League One last season. And I think the defence and the defensive structure will translate pretty well, will step up fairly well. I think they will be solid. The main concern would be goals. Uh, they weren't an amazing attacking team in League One last season. 
So some of my fears have been allayed by the signing of Tyler Walker, who, again, just fits the, the right sort of profile. He's a young player who they will give a chance to, and all being well, will develop with them uh, and, and probably make them a pretty penny uh, after scoring a few goals over the next season or two. So uh, it, it's a team that we like a lot. Uh, at the moment, we can't see a huge amount to, to put us off Coventry. 15th place would be a, a, a big achievement. And, and Barnsley in 14th, I think they're definitely going to be a proper highlights team this year. Because it's just a side uh, of young British players, a few over from Austria, where Gerhard Struber came from. Um, some of those players are sort of credited, I think, with lifting the the level of the side last season at a time where they really needed it. Uh, and they're just an, they're an excellent side, aren't they? Mm. Under Struber, um, th- their end to the season was magnificent. Uh, I don't necessarily think that we can expect them to pick up points to quite the same extent over the course of a 46 game season where they start on zero because they had very obvious motivational factor of survival to fight towards but of course we're excited about this side specifically Callum Styles, who we think is going to be a breakout star um, people like Jacob Brown a year older a year more improved uh, Clark Adore the wing back who looks magnificent Corley Woodrow who we like a lot um, I think we're so positive about it that it feels like they could be a bit higher but I think you know Although he improved the defence, there there are certainly still signs that, that it can be a bit sloppy at times. The pressing system that he's implemented is excellent, um, but it, it, it does it's going to be very tiring to keep it up, I would say. I dare say they're going to have some big defeats as well as some big wins, this Barnsley side. But the main concern is that Struber's reputation is growing so quickly that I'm worried he will be poached. We already know he's been on a ton of shortlists. Watford were linked very, very strongly. And this is a guy, as much as we love what he's done with Barnsley... He made a business decision to leave Wolfsburger in Austria to bring himself to English football, backing himself to catch the eye of richer, bigger English clubs. And he's clearly done that. So I don't see why he would necessarily feel the need to stick around uh, unless they are really are right up there. Uh, and, and a small concern of ours is that Struber might well get poached at some point. So Barnsley, 14th, a team we're really looking forward to watching. Not quite best on quest because they've improved their defence, but not far off. Uh, and they are followed by the team in 13th, Blackburn Rovers. It feels like there's not much between 13th and 4th. <laughs> anyone who watched last... Good to get that out of the way early. Anyone who got into the championship last season will know that there was a remarkable playoff battle for a while. And um, and it does feel like there's a clutch of teams here that, that really, you know, I think from, from Blackburn upwards, we wouldn't be surprised if any of these guys get into that. Um, maybe a bit of a step too far for Barnsley and Coventry. But in Blackburn, we've got a team who, under Tony Mowbray, are always solid. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for a slow start at the beginning of last season, they probably would have been closer to getting into the playoffs. And they basically just go again with what they have. Um, Mowbray has looked at the squad and clearly thought to himself that he's happy with the options that they've got. He hasn't made any big changes. They brought in a keeper from uh, from Ghent, who I'm not going to pretend to know much about, but it seems like he's come in to be number one. So that could be an improvement um, in terms of players leaving. They let a few go including Smallwood, uh, Danny Graham, who I've just read is signing for Sunderland, which is interesting. Um, and um, last season, they flirted the playoffs and couldn't quite get there. The, the one interesting thing here is is the return of Bradley Dack. Dack is going to come back in October, and you would normally think that is going to be a very good thing. Uh, a couple of things to think about with Dack is that his pace and his kind of physical ability to beat men and to get uh, into goal-scoring positions was a big part of his game. Um, we don't know how he's going to be coming back from a serious injury like the one he had. 
And the bigger issue is that they were just much better without him last season. His injury basically coincided exactly with their upturn in form. So you've got to have that down in the positive column. But at the same time, this is just, as I said, a team who are the same. They go in with the same uh, as they had last year. There's a lot to be said for continuity. But I think we just have a few of the sides above them a little bit stronger. Yeah, a little bit stronger. One team that I don't really know what to make of at the moment is Derby County. We've got them in 12th, which instantly feels a little lower than I probably thought we would have them. Uh, and maybe speaks to how little we think there is between this clutch of teams that we're about to talk about. Um, they finished ninth last season, so this is obviously um, a, a bit of a regression there. I'm a little bit concerned in the last few days at the news of, of Bogle and Lowe leaving the club. I, I fully understand. Logal. I fully understand that when you sell players like them, you replace them. And I've no doubt that Derby will make some moves in the transfer market in order to replace these guys. But, I mean, it really does point to an insane belief in this core group of young players who we've spoken about so much because we're so excited about them. Um, Sibley and Bird especially, but Knight and Whitaker and tons of others too who we'll, who we'll probably get to know over the next few weeks. I'm kind of all for it as a project. I just wonder whether it, it's it's not necessarily going to translate to a lot of winning football matches. Um, certainly at the top end of the pitch at the moment, they look quite light. Chris Martin left, which you know, I wouldn't ordinarily consider to be a big issue. Um, but while I think there are goals in Jack Marriott and Martin Waghorn, I still feel like there's more needed in wide areas, dare I say it, someone that you can really rely on to score goals. Uh, it's great that they got Matt Clark back. Uh, and it's great that they brought in David Marshall, the goalkeeper as well. Uh, although Keller Roos looks like he's still staking a claim for that number one jersey. Uh, I, I like Philip Koku. Like, I do think he's a good manager. And yeah. I don't think he had the right foundation last year with everything that happened off the pitch. So he might make us look quite stupid if he's really, really good, Koku. And if he is, you know, one of the better managers in the division, would not be surprised to see Derby up here. But I, I actually look at the squad... And I just worry a little bit that um, that they're not going to be a huge amount stronger than last year. And maybe with a young team, there'll be plenty of exciting moments, but a bit of inconsistency as well. I guess they're another one where, like with, you know, you say Koku could improve, but they've got such a young side. You know, we've spoken a lot about Sibley and Bird. There's every chance that given kind of development in the first team, come April, Max Bird could be the best centre midfielder in the league. Mm. Like Sibley could be God, one of the best. so good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that could happen, in which case you could, you'd elevate them beyond just the signings and what they were doing last season. Hold on, just quickly for clicks. Wayne Rooney. Great, I think that works. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that translates to uh, to podcast listens. Um, okay, 12th place, George. Uh, 11th place, rather. We've got Bristol City. Something of an unknown in the dugout in Dean Holden, although we saw him for a couple of games last season. How do you? What, what do you make of Bristol City heading into this campaign? Yeah, if it wasn't for Dean Holden, I'd have been very, very keen on putting them in the playoffs. Nice. Uh, a team I, I didn't like last season at all. Um, no, you really didn't. The way that, um, the, especially the kind of underlying data under Lee Johnson tailed off, um, meant that it was clearly the right decision to to get rid of him. Um, crazy to think back in kind of February, they were right in the playoff mix and they fell away so markedly. Mm. And Holden came in and got, I mean, in his six games, he won three of them, drew two of them, lost one of them. I'm not going to give him much credit for that. Jamie Patterson looked like the greatest player that's ever played And he played level. very well again on Saturday, which <laughs> is interesting. But I, I, they are a side who have just brought in three players... All three I really like. I think mm. that Mawson is a cracking signing um, at this level. Um, playing, you know, he's 
I, a couple of years ago, we'd have thought age 26, he'd be playing regularly in the Premier League. And they've also got in Joe Williams, uh, who's 23 years old, coming in from Wigan, who was one of their kind of outstanding players last season and all action centre midfielder, something they lacked in the last campaign. And they've got so much depth in centre midfield now because Joe Morrell comes in from a loan spell at Lincoln. Liam Walsh comes in from a really good loan spell at Coventry. So suddenly they are stacked with options um, of passing midfielders which means that Hanno and Masengo might not get the minutes he got last season, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Sammy Smodix is another one, a creative player to kind of rival Casey Palmer for that um, more advanced midfield role, um, who had such a good time at um, at Posh at the back end of last season. So if he does stay at the club, you'd hope he'd make an impact. Uh, I think and, and Chris the, I Martin, think... another striking option. It just feels like a more rounded squad now with the, the Lonies coming back. I really hope the Holden just keeps this squad together now and doesn't send them all back out on loan again because there's enough quality there mm. for this to be... You know, This is a better squad than the one that was fancied to do well last season and I don't think losing Johnson is an issue. So Holden is the is the unknown here. Um, if they had a, you know, a, 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 a manager the like of you know Ryan Loeb as one that was linked to them, if they had Ryan Lowe at the helm with this squad... I'd be really, really positive of their chances. Seems very popular with the players. They all were very happy about his appointment, quite notably so, given that the fan reaction was less strong or certainly less positive. It was quite a strong negative reaction. Whether he's suited to management, uh, we don't know. I do find it interesting. This summer, there's been so many internal appointments. Coaches, first team coaches, assistant managers promoted to the top job. And they're always, you always see people say really popular, like just a popular yeah, yeah. guy. And everyone, yeah. they, people always like them. People always want them to do well. And I think that can sometimes sway you because you always see positive reviews and you think, okay, well, everyone seems to like this guy. It's the same with all of the internal appointments down at League Two and League One level as well. You never get one where people are just like, what the hell's gone on here? this guy's a bad bloke and a bad coach. Why yeah. is he taking the job? Yeah, so yeah. I think that can be a little bit noisy sometimes. Uh, we, we've got Sabri Lamucci's Nottingham Forest in 10th. They obviously finished 7th in the league last season. They were one of the teams that we spoke about a lot uh, at last season, both uh, reasons, both sort of positive reasons, how impressive they were without the ball, how well drilled and well coached they seemed, certainly at the start of the season under Lamucci. How we felt at times like they were running a little bit hot uh, and and that probably going forward they still needed quite a bit more until we thought they'd be a, a really top team over the course of a whole season. I certainly didn't expect such a uh, an implosion that we saw towards the end of last season and I hope that things have calmed down behind the scenes and Lamucci is, is sort of has, has still got his authority because it is uh, it's another good squad. Um, they've brought in some players that are eye-catching for being sort of recognisable championship players rather than expensive, flair Portuguese players. Um, so Luke Freeman, for example, we've always really liked at this level. Lyle Taylor, who I think is a proper goal threat. Jack Colback, who's sort of tidy, is not someone that I'm in love with, but um, with Ben Watson leaving, you can kind of see what the thinking is there because I think Watson's a really underrated part of their team last season. Uh, I'm not a, a massive Tyler Blackett fan and I am quite interested to see Fuad Bashiru who they bring in from Malmo based on a two minute Twitter compilation <laughs> that I saw he looks like a, a really nice box to box midfielder uh, and I think they could certainly do with a bit more in that regard so um, I just find it difficult to see them being absolutely excellent I've still got some concerns that Lamucci's uh, management style as much as this team will no doubt be pretty solid once more even with Taylor helping out Graben, even more a bit more depth up top. 
I'm still not sure if they're going to be a team that creates loads and loads of chances because it's not just about strikers, but actually, um, you know, those in the middle third as well. If there's any chance that Thiago Silva could really adapt to the league this year, or even, dare I say it, Joao Carvalho, if these guys get a lot of minutes and they're really contributing, it's a different story because I, I suspect teams now think if we set up in a super low block here and we make it really difficult for Forrest and we give them the ball, they're not going to be able to break us down and we might be able to hit them on the counter. So teams are going to be a bit savvier up against them this year uh, and, I, and I don't think that's a good thing for Forrest. So uh, again, chance for them to prove us wrong. Under the radar. <laughs> under the radar, exactly. Um, probably the true under the radar team at all times in the championship uh, is Preston North End. George, they finished ninth last season and we've got them finishing ninth again this season and there hasn't been a huge amount of change there in general. <laughs> There's not much we have to say. There's been no change. Same manager, Alex Neil, who continues to get them punching above their weight. Same group of players, not much um, going out either. They had a really poor back end of last season. Um, they lost, I think, two of their last 12. Sorry, they won just two of their last 12. Uh, and that really saw them kind of spiral. But it's still a decent squad. It's a young squad of improving players. Uh, I've got a lot of faith in Neil as well. Um, we're trying not to talk too much about the Carabao Cup, but they were absolutely rampant against Mansfield in a 4-0 win. They, Is there a chance that there's a group of players who are a year older and have developed a bit more? Like, you know, Bayless and Ledson I've seen getting a mm. bit more minutes. I mean, their, their pathway to the first team is kind of blocked by... Are you saying they're like a new signing? <laughs> not necessarily, but but have a bigger con- contribution this year, uh, which is what new signings tend to do. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like Bart Hazen as well... Sometimes you watch him and you're like, you're, you're lightning, mate. Yeah, and, yeah. and your finishing looks all right. Could you maybe score a few more goals for me well, here? I mean, that, that is the issue. They go into the season with four strikers in Maguire, Stockley, Nugent. Nugent will be leaving and Malt. So those three players, you're not backing any of them to get into double-figure goals. And they're a team who create enough chances that you need that player. So mm. that's probably what they're lacking. Um, they are stacked in centre midfield, as you mentioned, with Bayliss. And Ledson, they've also got Potts and Pearson, Johnson, Brown. I mean, Pots Brown and Pans and Pearson. <laughs> Brown, Brown plays effectively every every position anyway. And we I haven't f- we haven't even mentioned Galley yet. So I feel like they're a team a bit like Forest, who the Oppo just think give them the ball and sit deep. And I think they they really struggle to break teams down. Yeah. And I think you know ninth is impressive for Preston North End, but I think that's what's holding them back becoming a top six it wouldn't, team. It wouldn't surprise me if they do the same as last season and come out of the blocks very very quickly. I mean, they won. Um, nearly as many penalties as Manchester United last season, which you can't imagine is going to happen again. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, they, I'd be really surprised. I mean, they do feel like the one club who, because of the precarious situation with the age of the squad and, and the budget, you know, they're so often punching above their weight. We normally saw it two years ago when they were down the bottom of the table and then Neil turned it around before being sacked. They're the one side at, at here who, if they'd got off to a poor start, it could go the other way. But similarly, you know, they can blitz teams. Mm. So, we will see. Um, the first of the relegated sides now, Ali. I had them a little bit higher. You had them a little bit lower. So we've compromised and it's coming to you on the f- the first time we've ever spoken about them on this podcast. Yeah, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Uh, probably the side that we disagreed on the most. And yet, in our disagreement, kind of both agreed that trying to predict <laughs> what Bournemouth will be like is, is so tough. Uh, and 
that extends to relegated teams in general from the Premier League, who, as we know, don't have a, a, as good a record as they should do at going straight back up, given the financial benefits that they're given, certainly in the in the form of parachute payments, and also the quality of players, again, on paper, that they come down with. And it makes it very hard to judge what's going to happen, because Bournemouth, like many teams over the last few years, have an absolutely magnificent starting eleven for the championship. They have a fantastic starting 11 plus subs for the championship because they're guys that we recognise as being Premier League players over the last few years. But the things, two things that we know, firstly, there's going to be a lot of players leaving in the next few weeks. At least we expect that to be the case. There's still a few names there, uh, even after the departures of Wilson and Ake and Fraser and Ramsdale. You do wonder what will happen to David Brooks, etc., there are still going to be players there that are very good players and guys that we're excited to see. Solanke, I think, could do really well with a year in the championship out of the spotlight and actually sort of without that pressure on him become the striker that he, he always threatened to become as a youth team player. Still so young, of course. Um, a back four of, of Jack Stacey, Cook, Mepham and Lloyd Kelly looks pretty tidy. A midfield of Lerma, Billing... And Lewis Cook looks very, very tidy. My concern, I have to be honest, stems from the appointment of Jason Tindall and specifically the changeover from Eddie Howe to Tindall. Nothing to do with any relegation, but changing a manager or losing a manager that has been synonymous with a club and so important to its development and its success and such a huge figure in the club like Eddie Howe was. I think it's so difficult to turn it around so quickly and to hit the ground running. Add in the fact that relegated teams don't tend to hit the ground running and, and tend to have something of a hangover. I just I, I feel a bit bad for, for Tyndall. Um, again, he comes he comes as someone who seems very popular with the players, uh, a very positive mentality, we're told. Uh, he was big on their set-piece routines. Um, he's, he's got this good, positive character, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a little bit worried about what it means when the long-time number two suddenly is the is the big dog uh, when you when you're going through such a sort of chaotic period uh, off the field uh, it, it's difficult to keep a, a handle on things and I think out of the three relegated clubs uh, I'm most worried about Bournemouth um, and they are therefore in eighth you, you think they'll be a bit higher I actually think they could be even lower if things really do start badly so we, we've, we've compromised we've got them in eighth and that means they're just one place behind Cardiff who are seventh and just missing out on the playoffs that they made it into last season. Yes. I mean, Neil Harris did a fantastic job taking over from, from Neil Warnock last season. Um, as you mentioned, Warnock left thinking there was no chance of a of a, a playoff tilt and he was wrong. It just wasn't him who led them there. Um, but I still have reservations over Harris as a manager. We, we saw enough of him at Millwall to know that he's not necessarily, in, well, in my opinion, um, one of the best managers in, in the league. And he goes into this season with pretty much the same squad at his dis disposal. Kiefer Moore is, is definitely a positive signing. He's a good signing. I, I don't think... You know, he's one of those players who is prolific at a certain level and seemingly isn't that in the championship, but is still very effective, both kind of for Wales international level and as a striker in, in the championship. He does a hell of a lot more than just score goals. And he fits the, the, the way that... Um, that Cardiff play under under Harris. They haven't lost any key players. Um, so it's going in with the same again. Um, we're getting towards the top end of the table where I think there are three teams who we think are, are well clear of the rest. So it comes down to them being kind of in that group 
just below those. Um, and it's, I think it's the, yeah, I, I feel like they were had a, a really good stretch under Harris towards the back of that got them into the playoffs. And I don't see that maintaining necessarily, although we, we expect them to continue to be in the mix for the playoff positions. Yeah, in the playoffs, finally. It feels like they've knocked at the door, certainly in two of the last three seasons, but not made it in, uh, is Millwall Football Club. Uh, a lot of people quite like Millwall heading into the season, and it's not hard to work out why. They were a good side last year. They finished eighth. Um, we think that they'll be a little bit better this year. Gary Rowett took charge when they were struggling uh, and Neil Harris left. And from what we've seen, from the evidence in front of me, I think Gary Rowett and Millwall looks like a perfect fit. Looks like it works so well for both parties. And therefore, I think the, the atmosphere and the vibe is, is really good. I think he brought something new to the club, but very much didn't need to bring in a ton of new players. Now, now their, their early transfer business looked pretty smart. Uh, Ryan Woods, who gives them that extra quality on the ball in midfield that they probably didn't have in the first two years after winning promotion from League One. Um, Woods keeps things ticking over really nicely. We know that defensively they are very solid. They've got a few different ways that they can play with three at the back system uh, or with four at the back. And I think that flexibility can 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 be really helpful for them. Um a good core of players who, again, it's a little bit like Preston. It's a little bit like Blackburn. There's a core of players who know each other's games so well now. They're almost telepathic. And I think that uh, in, in, in a league where there's been such a quick turnaround, where there's going to be so many games coming at you thick and fast, I do think that sort of psychological edge, that sort of telepathy between teammates... That probably does give you a, a you know a little little bit of a an edge, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. Will they score goals? Is the big question. They at times last season, like a few of the other teams we're talking about here, like Cardiff, dare I say it, Preston, Nottingham Forest, when the onus is on them to have possession and attack, sometimes they've been found wanting. How much does Troy Parrott help that? But I was going to say. I mean, that's the the big question here is how good is Troy Parrott? If Parrott is Tammy Abraham, Rian Brewster levels, I'm confident Millwall are a playoff team. If he takes a bit of time to get going, I think they'll probably be just outside. But early signs are very promising. All the noises coming out of the club is that he looks really, really sharp and I can't wait to see him. I actually think there's a couple of guys like Marlon Romeo uh, and dare I say it, Connor Mahoney as well, who, who I think will improve again uh, and become even more important to this side than they were before. And that's on top of the likes of Jed Wallace and Jake Cooper, who we like a lot as well. So, yeah, we're, we're going to go for it. Millwall into the playoffs this year. And no one's going to enjoy playing them, whether the fans are there or not. And I'm looking forward hopefully to seeing Hopefully they will be how, by May. Hopefully. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go. What about the team we have above them finishing fifth? The team that has been... The bane of our lives when predicting the championship over the last two seasons. When will we learn, George Ellick? Stoke City, fifth place. We've fallen for it again. We've fallen <laughs> for it again. Um, weirdly, even though we've got them quite high up, this just feels like a different club now under Michael O'Neill. There was an, an expectation in the first season coming down that they would just be too good with the players they had at their disposal. You and I believed last year that Nathan Jones was going to be the key reason why they would be a good side again. Um, playing attacking football. Michael O'Neill came in and I think in the time that he was at the club from kind of halfway through last season through to the end, they were top six or seven in the league for points picked up. But it's it's a very different Stoke. It's almost back to kind of the Stoke that we saw when they came up uh, with Tony Pulis a decade or so ago. It is 
is pragmatism. It is defending first. It is looking to break and break fast and score goals in that sense. That is all well and good with the players they've got as well. It seemed to suit them last season. Um, the addition of John Overmichael is a really interesting one. Um, it's It's got Stoke fans very excited. I'm not necessarily convinced that a 33-year-old centre midfielder kind of on his way down is the answer, but you know he did get... He was very well received at uh, at Middlesbrough when he was there um, a year or so ago. So that's interesting. And um, they've got still got so many striking striking options <laughs> yeah. in uh, you know a fit again. Benikafobe, Tyrese Campbell had a good season last season. Folks, Fletcher and Gregory there as well. Uh, with Fletcher coming in um, over the summer. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be the best team to watch. Um, I don't think there's going to be necessarily um you know many goals amongst those but i think they'll be hard to beat and hard to break down and o'neill certainly earns our respect I, I do still think this is a division where you have to be able to dominate sides in order to be the very best mm-hmm. i think we saw that with forest last season where they fell just short um because there are enough that there's enough of a gap between the quality sides i know it goes against what everybody will tell you about the championship but there's a big enough gap between the quality sides and those at the bottom for teams like Leeds from last season and West Brom from last season to just dominate others. And we saw Leeds do it to Stoke not too long ago as well. Um, and I think that might mean that they're lacking in terms of pushing up into the automatic promotion places. Um, but it's hard. I mean, we always say it's hard to see Stoke not being half decent. But this time around, they're worst because of the way they're going to play and the way they're going to be set up. Their worst seems like it's a little bit higher. John Obi Macau, one of the most decorated footballers uh, in modern football. I'm looking forward to seeing him pull some strings and put in some heavy tackles, if he's up for it, that is. Uh, what about Swansea? We've got them in fourth place. That is a two-place improvement on their sixth-place finish in 2019-20. I suppose it is a reaction to the way that they improved throughout the season. What was funny was they started very strong in terms of results, and we weren't really having it, certainly the... Uh, those underlying numbers that we were looking at did not equate to to the fast start that they had. Uh, and sure enough, they did drop off and they didn't look great until the second half of the season. Dare I say it, not that great until um, until after the, the lockdown ended and we got back going. Uh, and they seem to have struck upon uh, a new formation and a new system that suits the way that Steve Cooper wants his team to play and suits the players at their disposal. Uh, of course, when you're so heavily based on loan players like Conor Gallagher, and Rian Brewster, who have not returned, uh, you know, it, it, it does leave holes in your squad. They've gone with the loan approach again to, to fill those holes for the most part. Uh, Freddie Woodman in nets is going to be good. I'm confident of that. Morgan Gibbs-White, I think, could be very good. He hasn't played a huge amount of football over the last year or two. But if anyone can whisper him back to full potential, it's Steve Cooper, the uh, the, the, the youngster whisperer who won, who won the under-17 World Cup with Gibbs-White in the heart of midfield. Gwehi as well, who, who we just love at the back, who I think mitigates a little bit the departure of Van der Horn, uh, especially because Rodon is back from injury and Cabango, another year older and more experienced. I love their midfield options as well. Matt Grimes, I think I think I love Matt Grimes more than anyone else. That isn't, more than his mum. Isn't, no, not more than his mum and not more than Swansea fans, but probably more than anyone that anyone isn't else. his mum <laughs> or a Swansea fan. Uh, they've added Corey Smith, who's just one of those classic championship sort of stalwarts, who's actually a lot younger than you think he is, but uh, the Bristol City fans, pretty sad to see him go. And I've no doubt that probably his impact might come more in terms of what he brings to the squad off the field and, and in terms of mentality and character than necessarily on the field where he might have to fight for minutes uh, with some of the players already there. But one of the big questions is up top. 
does Ayu fancy it again? Because if he does, I, there's no reason to think he won't be an, an, a good goal scorer again at this level, even if he's on this ridiculous wage, which I can't understand how they can afford. Um, yeah, they seem to hit on something near the end of last season. George, I know that heading into your research, a bit like me, you weren't necessarily expecting to really like Swansea, but they are at the top of this group of teams that we think could be very good. And there's a reason why they're at the top of it and in fourth. Yeah, I started my notes on Swansea by writing, yikes, was their defending bad on Saturday. Um, they also conceded seven goals against Southampton on uh, last week. So I wasn't expecting to end up having them in fourth, but I, but I did. We both did. And there's just a lot to like here. I mean, the, the defensive unit is largely remaining the same. Joe Rodon stays at the club, which is... Yeah, I'm amazed somebody hasn't taken a chance on him. Um, Gray, he stays. Woodman stays. So the defensive unit is is the same. And they weren't by any stretch a, a particularly, you know, anything special defensively last season. But they were they were fine at the back. So angry with myself that I didn't mention Jamal Lowe being picked up for 800k and giving them something extra, a bit, bit of pace Maybe. in behind. I mean, I think he'd have to find some consistency, hopefully. I mean, he's not going to, I'd say, be a, a shoe-in starter. No, but and I, um, you know, given that I said... I'm a little bit worried about the final third of the pitch. Yeah. Uh, low, low is clearly a good addition. But, for and, and Gibbs White is just a really interesting one where um, I think his ceiling is going to be very high. We spoke about this on our Athletic podcast. Um, he just feels like a player who, if it all clicks and he plays a lot and gets his head right, then he could be far, far too good. Um, you know, this has been, since they came down from the Premier League, this has been a project. It was initially overseen by Graham Potter, who was then taken. Steve Cooper came in. We were saying this time last year, what's a good job by Steve Cooper? We said probably the same again mid-table. They bettered that. They got into the playoffs. Mm. Um, I think that he was dealt a pretty harsh um, deal from some Swansea fans and those onlookers who criticised him for the drop-off in form halfway through the season. I think it was just a very good start and they couldn't live up to that. And it feels like they're building on that again this season. So, um, yeah, I, I think this will be another good campaign for them. And on paper, they the, the style they play, what I said about Swansea earlier, sorry, about um, Stoke earlier, it's hard to see them really pushing on because they don't dominate games. I mean, that is what Swansea look to do. They look in every game to be the dominant force in terms of possession, in terms of territory, and that is the way I like to see clubs at the top end of the championship playing. So I think that they are the best of the rest, let's say. I want you to keep talking here and I want you to keep talking about the team that we have in third. Good time to say that in the championship, there's a dotted line between second and third between automatic promotion and the playoffs. From our perspective, when we did all of our research and when we compared our tables, it felt like we had something of a dotted line between third and fourth. There's a group of three teams that we think are just a cut above, as we see it at the moment. The third team who we decided to put in third uh, is Watford. I spoke about Bournemouth and talked about teams coming down and, and how difficult they are to predict. So you talk about Watford and tell me what we think we're going to expect to see from them. Yeah, I think of these three sides, any of them could be the one who just goes miles clear. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it is Watford. They brought in Vladimir Ivic, who I'm now going to just call Vlad. Welcome, okay. Vlad. Welcome, Vlad, to the EFL. Um, and he, I mean, we, we don't know. We're not going to pretend he's some managerial genius. All I know is that he did some serious things in Israel. I think I'm all in on Vlad Ivic. I mean, this is exciting. And also, it's just, it's, it's something that the Watford hierarchy basically chose Ivic over Struber. And if they think he's better than Struber, then... <laughs> <laughs> And that is exciting. Um, no, but he, you know, he came over. For those who don't know, 
I'm sure you've heard it before if you've if you've kind of followed this story. But he came in at Maccabee Tel Aviv. They hadn't won a title for ages. He won the first title by like 35 points, and then the second season won. Every, they only lost one game, which I think was the last game of the campaign. He absolutely blitzed it there, and he comes in here with a squad that at time of recording at 2.46 on the 7th of September is absolutely ridiculous. It's probably better than Watford's squad in the Premier League last season. Because <laughs> the best of- thing is there's, there's like five guys that I'm so excited about who weren't even in their team last year. Weren't even in their squads. <laughs> I mean, that's the incredible thing about it. Like Adam Leventhal did a, um, a piece in The Athletic this morning saying what, at this time, Watford's strongest eleven would be. And it is it is better than their team last year. I mean, Glenn Murray, who's been brought in on loan, Troy Deeney, who's still their captain, Andre Gray, none of these players were in it. Gerard Delafeu wasn't in it. Um, and they're all still there. We, we have to expect that players are going to leave. But Luis Suarez, not that one, um, scored like 20 odd goals at Zaragoza last season. I think he might be better than that one. Yeah, possibly, <laughs> especially at the moment. Um, Estupinian uh, was on loan, Osasuna playing left back and La Liga and really impressed. You know, that. There are going to be outgoings. We've seen Takure leave. I'm sure we're going to see Ismail Assar leave. If we don't, then wow. I mean, that's going to be exciting. Um, but even if they lose, say, three or four of these players, they're still so well stocked. Um, it kind of, my concern is it all feels a little bit Stoke 2018, mm. where you look through the list and you just think, Jesus, yeah. like, how is this squad in the championship? Um so I'm, I'm well, always... One of the I'm points always... you made when we talked about this earlier and we said, what, did I forget? what are the traps that we fall into sometimes overrating the relegated teams based on their squad on paper? One thing we did say is maybe this year we feel like the other teams in the league aren't kicking on, maybe because of the COVID situation yeah. and the lack of transfer business or the short turnaround. You felt more confident in saying... I'm putting less importance on that this time around. And, and, and it's also worth looking back at previous Premier League relegated teams. Like last year, we had Huddersfield 11th, which we thought was a really pessimistic prediction. They ended up coming much worse than that. But we've also got teams like Fulham, who came down. We were never taken with them at all last season. I think Watford might be Fulham, you know. And they've, I and, think they might be and, Fulham. And they're, and they're back in the Premier League. You look at West Brom the year before, who ended up with, um, I can't even remember his name, managing them in the playoffs. Jimmy Shan. Jimmy Shan, who's now at, at Solihull Moors. Mm. And, you know, they just had enough of that quality, sadly, in the championship just to kind of stick around at that level. So there, there is easily enough at Watford. If Ivic, if Vlad is as competent as it looks on paper, then he is going to have a, a, a great time, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Uh, in second place, we've got Brentford. And I think probably it's worth pointing out at this stage that we could do this podcast and I think for every single team in the championship you can find negatives quicker than you can find positives in many cases anyway so let's get the elephants plural out of the room aside Ben Rama and Ollie Watkins will not be Brentford players I'm pretty confident of that no inside info but I think it's uh, I think they've earned their chance to move up to the Premier League and I think is a bit of haggling going on. Um, Brentford holding out for good fees for them. That's clearly two very crucial attacking players for them uh, that will leave the club. And I wonder whether it's too easy to say they go and Brentford just aren't as good. Uh, what we've seen from this club specifically, more than most, and there are a few teams that do this very well across the EFL, Brentford are not the only team who are good in the transfer market and good at succession planning and good at replacing key players that leave 
But there probably hasn't been a team that have been in this situation as many times or as consistently over the last five years or so. And you cannot look back at any of the previous times where this happened and say they did anything other than keep level-headed, bring in players who maybe didn't hit the ground running immediately, but who eventually end up as stars. You know, Ben Rahma, a good a good one of those. When he first came, it wasn't incredible. When Watkins first came, and dare I say it, even this time last season, we probably didn't expect what's happened. So essentially, there's a huge trust the process element to this here. I know there's a lot of people listening who feel like we do that too much with Brentford. Um, and, you know, there's, there's probably some merit to that. But we basically believe that the the people in charge of the football club uh, on the football side of things uh, are very, very good at their job and that the trajectory of this club will we'll see them into the Premier League. There may be a hangover from the fact they made it to the playoff final and lost. Uh, there may be a, a hangover from Watkins and Ben Rama leaving. I would not be surprised if the season starts quite slowly. But then you wouldn't be surprised if Watford's season starts quite slowly. You wouldn't be surprised if Norwich's... Yeah season starts quite slowly who spoiler but and the, the season is 46 games long it's not one month long yeah we m- well my only reservation i mean the, the watkins and ben rama stuff is an issue but you know whatever they've done it before they'll get over it they'll, they'll have other players coming in ivan no I, I mean i love ivan and i think that's great um and ivan tony coming in is you know means that they've already got a ready-made goal scorer um it's griffin park you know, it, it is the move to a new stadium is an issue where you talk to opposition players. We've spoken to players, ex-players and players who will tell you that not even in the last few years, as an away player, going to Griffin Park was the worst place, the, the place they didn't want to play, the place where they felt like they hated it. Um, we've heard it from multiple people and they've lost that now. And we've also seen countless times when you see a club moving to a new stadium it takes time to work mm. and I've watched two Brentford games I watched a preseason friendly that means nothing against Oxford and yesterday we watched the Wickham game together neither were particularly good performances no, you, you can't put much weight in that but I just think that transition period might have a bit of an impact on their start to the season. I, I think uh, there's no reason to think they won't be excellent defensively again, right? I mean, it's the same personnel uh, in the back line that was so impressive last season. You know, the second best defence in the league, probably behind Leeds. Um, you wouldn't be surprised if they score fewer goals than last season because of those guys that are leaving. Um, but I still trust that this team are going to be very good over the course of 46 games. I'm definitely not as bullish about either of our top two as I was about Leeds last year, and I know you feel the same way. But top of the table, we've got Norwich City. George, I want you to talk me through it. Uh, they, <laughs> We waved goodbye to them, what, 16 months ago? They won the division. Daniel Farker was a genius. A lot of their players were magnificent. Um, they were miserable in the Premier League. Terrible, in fact. Miserable is the wrong word. I wonder if... I mean, by the end, it was miserable. <laughs> I know they got a lot of plaudits for their style of play early on and how brave they were, but I'm pretty sure it was miserable picking up whatever it was, 22 mm. points in 38 games. Regardless, we've got them top. The positivity is there. Talk me through it. Their squad is massive. <laughs> And has quality basically in every position. I mean, even in my notes, I've written, I'm not sold on Dowell or Hugo. Does it really matter? And the answer is, no, it doesn't. Because they have plenty of other players in those positions if those players aren't good enough. 
crucially, I think the biggest signing of the lot, they've made about 16. The biggest signing of the lot is Ben Gibson yeah. at centre-back because, I mean, they really could have done with him last season, like a proper... Funny thing was, and this is quite revisionist, they weren't that good defensively when they went up. No, that, and that, <laughs> that is a concern here as well. I mean, they, I think just stylistically, the championship suits them way better um, because if they're going to have that mentality of, right, right we're going to concede goals, we've got to make sure we score more. When you're coming up against Premier League opposition, that's a pretty tough ask. It's a pretty tall order. Um, it's telling that Daniel Farker said he had 17 players out through injury and international duty for the game at Luton on Saturday. And I looked at their starting lineup and I was like, is is that not their best team? Like, it, it, they have so many players. And, you know, I spoke to Michael Bailey this morning on the Norwich podcast on The Athletic. And he, I, I asked him kind of off air afterwards, you know, who else is leaving? When are they going to go? And he was like, I, I don't know. Like, Lewis, it looks like he's going to Newcastle. But beyond that, Cantwell's still there. Aaron's still there. Buendia's still there. And if oh, those players mate, do if stay... Plays in the championship this season. I actually can feel a tear coming to my eye just <laughs> thinking about it. I haven't thought about it because I don't want to be disappointed. But if he's around, I'm going to be pretty excited. Okay, here's a quick one though. The elephant in the room, which you have to talk about here, is relegation hangover. It's boring to keep using that phrase, but teams tend to not react very well. We think that Norwich will cope with it fine. I think I'll speak for us both here. We have great belief in Stuart Webber, who oversees things being the right man to oversee a transition like this partly because it felt like this was all part of the plan even when they went up the way that he spoke about how they looked at things over a, a mid to long term view he understood that it was going to be difficult he wasn't going to overreact to relegation which he knew was going to be uh, very much uh, not a probability but a, a, a possibility stuck with, with Daniel Farker and it almost just feels like as much as you can They've just gone, no, we're not going to be affected too much by relegation. We're going to stick with the manager. We're going to be very honest with the fans. And we're going to... But we're not going to stick with the same squad either. We are going to be pretty active in the market. And when you compare their transfer business and the churn of their squad to Bournemouth and, and Watford, they look about two months ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to know if we are right with this prediction, if they stick with Daniel Farker for next season in the, in the Premier League. Because, as I say, stylistically, it does feel like a better fit in the Championship. You are, But... You know, they, they do things the right way. I mean, that is... And, and you talk about a relegation hangover. They've been planning for this for about nine months. They've known they were getting relegated for a very long time. And, and as long as Stuart Webber is in, in the building at Carrow Road, I think we can place some faith and trust into their recruitment policy. One last thing. Hugh Gill. I know you're not a, not a Hugh fan. fan of him. No. Uh, and I, I don't disagree with that necessarily. I don't think he's a Premier League quality player, for example. But his mere presence and his profile as a player makes me think that they have a few different ways of going at it this season they really were even in winning the division they were very wedded mm. to a specific style of play and boy did it work for them but I quite like the fact that in Hugel you know uh, they've got someone who if they need someone to rattle a few centre-backs they, they can you know they've got him either coming off the bench and you know in terms of depth of squad and very um, and varied squad members you know that that speaks to maybe an understanding that they might need to be a bit more pragmatic at times and I'm quite excited about that George have you got anything else to say because this has been quite long yeah I mean I've loved it I've absolutely loved it nice love sitting with you talking about the championship but I do have one last request okay which is where can I watch the EFL highlights every Saturday and midweek 
for the midweek fixtures. That's why we pay you the big bucks specifically. Uh, EFL on Quest have been our partners for our 1 to 24s. We're so grateful for their support with these pods and also we're so excited to be a small part of a magnificent team which basically represents the home of the EFL highlights. That is what Quest is. And every Saturday at 9pm and Wednesdays for all midweek fixtures, you can watch all the goals on Freeview Channel 12, Freesat Channel 167, Sky 144 and Virgin 169. And if you're a more modern consumer of football and its highlights, well, you need to know about D-Play, which is where you can watch the show live on an app called D-Play or on the D-Play website or on demand. As soon as the show is finished, it gets uploaded. You can watch that anytime on your smartphone, your tablet or your laptop. Colin Murray is the magnificent host of this show. He is joined by expert pundits for two hours of highlights capturing all the goals, key moments and talking points from the day's action across all leagues. As mentioned, this includes highlights from every round of the Carabao Cup as well. And the first round highlights show is now available to stream on Dplay online and via the app. Please do make sure that you've series linked EFL on Quest ahead of this season. You may see some friendly faces on there and you will not be disappointed. Thanks so much for listening to these. Make sure you listen to the League One and League Two 1-24s. They will be wherever you found this one. We can't wait for the season to get started.